Welcome to the Ponder A New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and we're back for our second season. The response to the first season was good enough that we're going we're gonna to go back for a, another season. And in the Ponder A New Podcast, we ponder anew the ancient stories of Scripture and what they might mean for our time and our place. And this season, we're going to be looking at, drumroll, the book of Acts. This is a New Testament book. I'm going to talk a lot more uh, about why this book uh, throughout the, this first season, uh, or the first podcast of the season. But just briefly, I'll say that we live in a time of a lot of isolation, and COVID definitely increased this, but we, we definitely live in a time of, of fragmentation and people not always connecting, not living in, in rich communities uh, that most of humans historically have. So again, we live in this time of isolation. And the, the book of Acts shows how the early disciples lived a life in a community that was incredibly loving and caring, yet was still open uh, and, in fact, incredibly diverse. And so this thing that we're kind of looking for as a society, and I think definitely as, as individuals, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves that is, on the one hand, caring and embraces us, yet on the other hand, is, is open to other people, that this is what the book of Acts shows. And so we're going to discover together the, the joy of community through the lens, through the book of Acts. There's a lot of other reasons why it's a great and relevant book for us today. And we're not going to cover the whole thing in this season. We'll probably just cover the first uh, couple of chapters. But without further ado, let's discover the joy of community together as we take a look at the book of Acts. distinction, I believe, between people of faith and people who do not have faith is not whether they believe that what the Bible talks about actually happened. I do not believe, especially as I go further on in ministry, that that is the dividing line in the sand. Again, there are all sorts of things in the Bible that people uh, speculate, oh, did I really believe in the virgin birth or that this miracle or that Moses did this or that the creation took so many days or such and such. Again, I do not actually believe that uh, that is the line in the sand between the faithful and the not. I think the real question is whether the stuff that happened in the Bible still happens in our lives today. In other words, the confession is of a living God, of a God who still is at work in our world today. That conviction, that confession, that that God is alive in this world today, this is why Luke writes the book of Acts. For he writes... In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote all that Jesus began to do and to teach. 
until the day when he was taken up to heaven. Began. Wow. You might really wonder why the writer of Luke's gospel chooses to write more. Like, you know, he, he wrote arguably one of history's great literary masterpieces. The stories that he includes, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, uh, the, the lost sheep, they have, they have shaped the imagination, they've given hope to the hopeless, they've challenged the powerful over the centuries. And what Luke writes, the way he describes the crucifixion and the resurrection, his, his scenes of the resurrection, the road to Emmaus, the, the quote, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I mean, you, you couldn't do much better than Luke did, right? You've got the shepherds. You've, you've got the angels singing glory to God in the highest. Why would you need to write more? But you see, Luke takes all of this wonder that he writes. And what does he say? Oh, in that book, I told you what Jesus began to do and to teach. It was only the beginning. And, oh, foolish reader, you thought that that was the grand finale. Again, Luke has the fundamental conviction that God is alive and that God is alive in your and my life. And he wants to write this book about the apostles because he wants to show that the followers of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, were able to carry on and continue the, the teachings and the, the deeds, even the miraculous deeds of Jesus. In fact, I want to read this a little bit more here. He says, um, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Luke is making explicit the point. Jesus is no longer in the fleshly form walking around the earth. But somehow the ministry is going to go on. And after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is continuing on. And it's continuing on through the apostles. And what the writer of Luke's gospel and the book of Acts really wants you to challenge you and inspire you to believe is not just that God for 30 years while Jesus was on earth was doing a new thing but that it was opening up a new chapter. And you are a part of that. You are in the apostolic train of witnesses to Jesus Christ, in, among, and through whom the kingdom of God is continuing to be launched and grown and lived out. The title of the book of Acts is interesting in itself. And the title is the Praxis. That's the Greek word there, not acts. Praxis. And this is interesting because praxis, when we hear it in English, it's a, kind of a fancy word. It sounds like practice. But it's not just referring to a specific deed, but a sort of a, a whole way that you're orienting yourself. The book of Acts could be read as sort of this episodic sort of connect the dots of all these things that the early apostles did that were uh, amazing. But it's really Luke trying to show a way of their, their living. And, and, and who is it? Again, it's, it's not uh, just Jesus. It's the apostles, those 
who are sent. There are many names for the followers of Jesus. But Luke, again and again, in the early portions of the book of Acts and throughout, will refer to them as the apostles. The word apostle means one who is sent. And that is because Jesus is going to send out his disciples. Again and again, through the Holy Spirit, the disciples will be sent out. And this, too, happens to us in our lives. Okay, so let's check in here. And uh, just, I want to ask you some questions to sort of get you thinking here. Okay, so the first one is, are there parts of the Bible that you have trouble digesting, that you have trouble sort of accepting that that actually is historical fact. It's okay to be honest here and to admit it. But the second part, and the second question I really want to ask, though, is do you have trouble believing that God is alive in your life? That's, I think, the harder question. Now, Jesus offers them, as Luke tells us, Many convincing proofs that he was alive even after his suffering. And I'm curious, what for you is proof that Jesus is alive? Is it the historical evidence for the resurrection, which is surprisingly strong? Or is it the way in which God has revealed God's grace in your life still to this day? So why does the writer of Luke's gospel write this, and, and why should we care? Well, I think the first is, again, I, I'm living in a, in a world in which there are plenty of people that I know that don't seem to be people of faith. And again, what, what I, I feel, the chasm between me and them, is not simply that I know the story of the prodigal son. Or not simply that I know the story of the Good Samaritan or, or that I um, believe that Jesus fed 5,000 people. But it's, it's really about how I believe and I have this conviction that God is still alive. And just as uh, God embraced that prodigal son who ran away, I believe God still embraces us when we make the wrong choices. And, and just as, as the Samaritan showed, showed mercy to somebody who you know, wasn't his, quote, neighbor, yet was, we too are challenged and called again and again to show mercy to people who are outside of our spheres because God is challenging us, calling us to do that. And just like Jesus fed the 5,000, we too are called to pull our resources, pray, and have it be multiplied to feed the multitude. So uh, Luke's central thesis here, I believe, is laid out in that very first sentence. To all you who would be lovers of God, hear the good news. God is not done in this world. God may have died, and, but has come back, and now the kingdom of God is at hand. For Jesus' resurrection means for you and for everybody else, Jesus is not just waiting in heaven for us, but that Jesus has reclaimed this world as the kingdom's territory for God. And that Jesus is going to be about the business now through the Holy Spirit of working through you and me to uh, execute, to live out, and um, to breed, so to speak, to grow the kingdom of God. Okay. The second reason why I believe Luke writes the kingdom of God, uh, sorry, writes the, the, the book of Acts, and why I think it's worth it for us to read 
relates to the power of community. And I want to be careful here to impugn a motive to, or to assign a motive to Luke that may not have been there. For us as Americans, it is profound how individualistic of a culture we live in. It is almost impossible if we have only lived in America to understand how relative to other people and relative to other cultures, just how individual focused we are. And so I want to get at it from, I think, where Luke comes from, and then I think where it, it, it is so helpful for us. Okay. The early, uh, the, the world in which um, Luke is telling the story is the Roman Empire, where you basically have this multicultural world that is held together by might, uh, by basically entertainment, bread and circuses, as well as military muscle. And in, in Rome, it's, again, the society, sort of this dog-eats-dog world, where you have these sort of subcultures with their individual little fiefdoms kind of fighting for each other. And the common ground, uh, again, is, is entertainment, you know, gladiators, and so forth. Um, everything's up for sale, even humans. Slavery exists. Um, again, dog-eat-dog, everybody for themselves. And it was just, again, this sort of cold world in which it was sort of basically money, sex, and military that held everybody together. And I don't think it would take that much to kind of say that sounds like a really distorted way in which you could probably talk about our world today. And Luke wants to present that there's another way of humans interacting. There's, there's another way that, that we as humans can be together. And that way is, is the community of Christ. And at points, I, I think his other people have, maybe historians have sometimes criticized Luke, that he's too sort of rosy in his betrayal. But I think he, he's aware of that. And I think he's trying to say, look, there is another way. And I'll argue even in the end that I don't think Luke is actually overly sentimental about it at all. But Luke is trying to say there's another way for humans of, of different tribes and races and perspectives to, to get along. And it's not just the Roman Empire or any empire that wants it to be about money, bread, our bellies, our guts, our private parts, um, and, and the sword. That there is again this this kingdom of God, in which somehow all people find their place. And it's interesting that the New Testament writers will, will end up talking about the, the body of Christ. You know, and the, and the word in Latin for body is, is corpus. You could really argue that the Christian church is the first transnational corporation that, that again, finds a way to bring people together. My sense is that in our culture today, we live in a world that is so fragmented. And part of this fragmentation is an obvious political one, right, where, um, you know, masks just at this point are making people explode in anger. But more deep in the political fracturing is, is this social isolation. You know, we're the society that produces the book called Bowling Alone 15 years ago about how, you know, bowling leagues don't exist so people bowl alone. So we're so fragmented 
And what becomes then the common denominator? Well, really bad alternatives. So I, I think we're again ready for a presentation. Um, the Bible's best argument, if you will, for what alternative community looks like, where it's not about coalescing around our anger that the other side is wrong, where it's uh, not just uh, sort of in online chat rooms, but real community of flesh and blood, of suffering, of grief, of service, and of hope, of worship of the living God. So I um, invite you then to, to have an open heart and, and to kind of maybe put some of your cynicism as best you can aside and say, Luke, tell me what real community looks like and how we can get there. And so maybe just some questions for reflection for you then are, what are communities in which you have felt truly a part of a community? Or you've had the cheers experience where you, you know, want to go where everybody knows your name. When have, um, what has made those communities work? What's a community you've been a part of where you've actually been a community with people who are of, of a different sort of socioeconomic, different um, uh, class, different race, um, different political perspective? What has allowed that to, to still be coherent and, and cohesive? To what extent is community hard for you? And what has made it hard, even where have church communities for you been problematic? So those are some questions for you as we ponder together. So again, I, I don't think Luke is specifically addressing our American context, but Luke is certainly presenting a model for how humans can relate. It, it doesn't have to be about empire and money and military and crass bodily entertainment and fulfillment. It can be about the kingdom of God, about a way of relating around service and the story of Jesus Christ, the confession of his death and his resurrection as we encounter that. So hopefully that's, uh, you know, we got through a whopping uh, four to five verses today, but I really just wanted to lay a foundation for you, many of you who may not be familiar with this book, um, why read, so to speak, the fifth gospel of the Bible, the gospel of the Holy Spirit? Um, why read it and what's sort of going on and what's behind it? So uh, we'll be meeting at uh, the, the pub on Wednesday nights if you want to join us. But if I know many other people are not able to join us but are still loving to listen, uh, that's great. Feel free to email me or text me or call me with, with your questions. And um, with that, we will conclude with a prayer. Dear God, whew, sometimes as we move along in life, it's easy to lose a sense that you are the living God. And so we pray that as we uh, read the book of Acts together, that you will restore our faith. And not just that you did amazing things long ago, but that you're still a living God in our lives today. We also uh, pray for our nation, our world that seems so fragmented. Help us in our local congregations to live out this hope and this promise to be the kingdom of God on earth, to be your community. And help us as we read Acts to, to put away some of our cynicism, to soften our hearts, to again be open to how you call us to live and interact with one another 
in your kingdom while we await the fulfillment in your return. This we pray for in the name of the one who is crucified and risen, who has sent his spirit among us, Christ the Lord. Amen.